0: If you're like me, you can't get enough John Mulaney and that's good because during the Netflix is a joke festival, John Mulaney is presenting a brand new show called Everybody's in LA. It's six live episodes created and starring John that will stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a joke fest. This is going to be an unconventional show with very big special guests. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in LA debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
1: Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey,
0: everybody. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up here. There's something we should all be doing. It's going to improve your life, make every day a little bit better. And that is eat more Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Yes, think about it. All the gurus, all the coaches out there, they've never said the words, Eat more Reese's. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter. I mean, this is something that brings other people and ourselves joy. That's why there's two in a pack. Shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold and often in my pantry because I love these. Was Pink the actual star of Rollerball? I have a very bad idea, but it's a good thing. And. Of course, street luge, bullshit, or not. All this and more on today's How Did This Get Made? Last Looks. Hit the theme. The last. John A. Tin, John A. Tin, A. Tin. Hello, all you hockey players turned street losers turned rollerballers. I'm your host, Paul Shear, and welcome to How Did This Get Made Last looks where you the listener get to voice your issues on rollerball later in the show jason and i will chat with moshe kasher you know him as a how did this get made all-star great guest on the show and he has a brand new book called subculture vulture it is a great read i'm in the middle of it right now and if you read his first book you will know that moshe delivers he is brilliant can't wait To finish the book. Well, I I don't want to finish the book because it's so good, but I also can't wait to see where it goes. You get what I'm saying. Anyway, get Moshe's book right now. Plus, we are going to share a deleted scene from our rollerball show. And as always, I will reveal next week's movie. But first things first, a big shout out to Lone Wolf Collab for that great opening theme. If you've got a theme, for the show. Whatever it is, send it to us at howdidthisgetmade at earwolf.com. You know the caveats. Funny, short, clever. I mean, is funny and clever the same thing? I don't know. I'm going to say no. Um, By the way, if you wanted to make a theme song for plugs, you could do that. Uh, And one of the plugs might be, hey, everybody, you know, I told you that if you bought my book, you've pre-ordered my book, you get something special. Well, here's the deal. I am going to write a lot of fucking postcards. That's right. If you have bought my book, you can go to my website, you can sign up, show your receipt, and I will personally write you a postcard of thanks. I know it's so difficult right now to part with your money. And because you are parting with it for my book, I want to make sure you get something special. So I will do that. And if you don't feel like giving your address... That's fine because I'm also opening up a special part of my website. It's called Paul's Secret Scrapbook that you will have access to and no one else will. So why am I doing this? Because I really do appreciate you all pre-ordering my book. The response so far has been amazing. And honestly, and I said it before and I'll say it again, Pre-orders seem to mean everything in publishing. So that's why uh, you you pick up the book now. It's going to really, really help. And by the way, if you want to come see us live, how did this get made, that is... Tomorrow, we're going to be in San Francisco at the Masonic doing Samurai Cop. We're also going to be in Europe. And if uh, you have any friends in Belfast, tell them about the show. Go to hdtgm.com to find out more. By the way, Jason and I, we perform in a group called Dinosaurs, an improv group with great people like uh, the great Seth Morris and Rob Riggle. Nicole Byer sits in a bunch, Lisa Gilroy, Mary Holland, Owen Burke, Chad Carter, the list goes on and on. Phil Augusta Jackson, so many great people. Carl Tart, and we love performing. We would love to have you come see your show at Largo. I'm talking about February 23rd. It's a Friday. That's our next show. We're there every month. Come check out Dinosaur if you are in L.A. And let's get into it because rollerball has a lot that we have to cover. And as a matter of fact... Last week, we asked everybody in the Discord, uh, what would be a better tagline for Rollerball? And Anapocalypse writes, I got one. Two teams, one track, no rules. Well, actually, there there are a lot of rules, but they're all in Russian. (laughs) All right, Anapocalypse, I like that. That's a good one. Let's use that to bring us into something I like to call corrections and omissions. Hit the theme. Corrections
1: and omissions We ain't rocket scientists A swing and a miss Now somebody's pissed We took a crack But it weren't a fact Now the fans are gonna yell at us Corrections and omissions
0: That's right, people. It is now your chance to set us straight. Fact check us, if you will. And I am going to fact check Damien Gentry as being the author of that amazing corrections and omissions song. That's how you do it, Damon. Thank you for that. Let's get into street lugeing. Elaine Smith writes, Okay, the street luge scene is complete bullshit. Boom. Why is it bullshit, Elaine? Well, she says, for the singular idea that the route taken from Christmas Tree Point in Twin Peaks to the finish line, supposedly at Rincon Hill near the Bay Bridge, would be downhill all the way. Okay, and your point? Well, San Francisco is comprised of many hilly neighborhoods going down and up, so in essence, the momentum created going downhill would be lost when the losers inevitably hit an uphill street. Okay. So I guess what you're saying is you would never like, so even well I can't you just get I think you could I mean that's the reason the whole reason is that mm, I don't know I need more street luge talk and Andy from Rhode Island He's got some. Well, he says, look, I was at the show at the Vets Theater and Providence has a great tie in related to the opening street luge race because the original two ESPN games took place in Rhode Island and they did a street luge in Providence, not far from the Vets Theater whoa, Andy, that is amazing. He goes on to say that he was there. He has an X Games poster that his dad got him in his bedroom, not now, but when he was a kid, and he wishes that he raised his hand in the balcony. Well, I love that we picked a movie that really had a connection to everything that's great about Providence. Um, Kirk Wagner, by the way, that sounded like an insult. It was not. It was just an offhanded comment. Anyway, Kirk Wagner writes, you guys asked why rollerball players always had to show the ball instead of hiding it to trick the other team. Well, in the 1975 original film, they mentioned that there's a rule where they always had to show the ball at all times. I don't think that was specified in the 2002 remake. Just one example of how the rules in the 1975 movie were so much clearer, even though they were hardly ever spoken. Well, look, we all now know Rollerball 75, James Caan, is the way to go. Before we end this segment, let's go to the phones and hear from Adam in New Hampshire.
1: Hey, Paul. Thank you so much for the Rollerball episode. Uh, my friend Sean and I went and saw that movie in college um, because it was big with the WWE hype machine because it had Paul Heyman and it Shane McMahon made a cameo, and I'm so glad you guys referenced the the night vision segment because it was so baffling in the moment. I remember um, there was actually a sign at the theater telling people that um, that was not a glitch, it was not a technical issue with the projector or anything like that, the movie assuring people that the movie was supposed to look like that um, and so it wasn't anything wrong with the print or anything like that. Just an absolutely god-awful movie. Uh, love the episode. Love the show. Thanks so much. Have a good day.
0: That is amazing. This often happens when people get upset about things that happen in film. I can't remember the last time this kind of happened. Like, artistic choices <laughs> have to be explained at the box office. I love this. That's amazing. And I think that this is like moments where people come out and want their money back, like, It's such a funny thing. It's like, nope, this wasn't up to my expectations. I want my money back. If anyone has a picture of that, let me know. Although it seems more like an Instagrammable moment. I don't know if back then people were taking pictures of just weird things unless you could share them right away. I mean, this is what we are up to now. I don't think we'd ever take pictures of just random signs or food before mobile phones. Anyway, uh, Andrew, New Jersey, what do you got? Hey, Paul, this is Andrew from New Jersey.
2: And I just had a Quickish omission, which is that the director of Rollerball, John McTiernan, did direct Die Hard, yes, but because of him defending Rollerball and getting Chuck Robin wiretapped and then lying about it, he went to jail, but then while in jail, he had to declare bankruptcy and wanted to, and the bank wanted to liquidate all of his assets because they thought he was lying about the bankruptcy because he was lying, because that just seems to be a theme with him. And after it was all settled and he got out of prison, the liquidation was seen to go through, and then also his royalty payments were taken over by the bank. So, because he lied about this awful, terrible movie that he made and fought to get it out there, he no longer gets money for Die Hard. I just thought that was a pretty fitting punishment. You make a terrible action movie, you no longer get the benefit. From your good action movie. Also, he wanted one of his defenses to the bank was trying to say that he was gonna make a Top Gun like movie with John Travolta, which never materialized. Thanks, Paul.
0: What? I did not realize that. Holy shit. Could you imagine the amount of money that is? That truly is wild. Well, I mean, that's what you get. Back to the Discord. That was really rough for me, right? That's what you get. I'm doing a lot of asides today. Dr. Guts, 1003 writes, John McTiernan may know how to shoot an action scene, but he seemingly knows nothing about how to shoot athletic competitions. I mean, how do you show that many rollerball games and never once show what the scoring is during those games? Yeah, it really was bizarre. I didn't even think there was scoring, to be honest. It just looked like a roller derby. I bet you he didn't even understand what it was. Johnny Unusual writes The Heather Graham show you mentioned was called Emily's Reasons Why Not, and it was actually canceled after one episode, not during the commercial break. You might be thinking of Turn On, a show from the creator of Laughing. It was pulled in Cleveland during the commercial due to a c- complaints. It never even aired in Western Affiliates after that. Well, I was not thinking of Turn On. I need to understand what that even was. What were the complaints? Let's find that online. Um, You know, I didn't mean it was literally pulled after the first commercial, but it was the ratings are so low that after the first commercial break, they knew they had to cancel the show. But I will also remind you, in that episode, I specifically said, do not look this up. Do not fact check me. It's funnier what I said than for you to tell me the truth of it Uh, so Johnny Unusual, even if you're right, you didn't listen to my demand. So you are out of the running this week for being the winner of, uh, corrections and omissions and the winner of last looks. You're out of both. Uh, me and nerd girl, uh, this is from breakfast. Prince writes me and nerd girl, both found this video where pink talks about her time on set. Apparently she initially had a much bigger role before it got cut down to only clips on a TV. You know, all week long we've been talking about the Puffy trial. We are going to give you guys a little brief update on that, but first, as they mentioned before, some news on Pink, right? You know, a lot of people who caught our show MTV icon Janet Jackson just the other night considered one of the more impressive performances to be Pink and her recreation of the chair dance, so you see it from Janet's Miss Miss You Much. Now, it's even more impressive when you consider that Pink was actually playing Hurt that night. Turns out she had pulled a muscle a couple days earlier while working on the new movie Rollerball. Now, that film is a remake or actually an update of a 70s action movie about a violent extreme futuristic sport and backstage at icon we caught up with pink and she told us more about rollerball traitorr actually
3: and it's coming out August 15th with Ella cool j and Chris Klein who I have a crush on and <laughs> the movie it's kind of crazy I had to re- I had to sing the three penny opera which is a little different from what I do so it's it's gonna be awesome
0: wait she was rollerblading I mean unless she was just like rocking so hard I mean I've seen a pink show she's very athletic in it uh and I love that she had a crush on our man Chris Klein wow so many great corrections and omissions this week I mean now we just have pink and rollerball in our head plus we're learning so much about John McTiernan there are so many great things we learned about street luges and everything but to me the thing that really struck just kind of knocked me on my, on my butt, was what Andrew from New Jersey said. So Andrew, for revealing that John McTiernan has none of his diehard royalty money, you are this week's winner. That's right. And you get this amazing song from Tyler Mann. Fuck, you win. That's right. Thank you, Tyler Man, for that song. And thank you, to our good friend from New Jersey. Remember, if you want to submit an alt-movie tagline or chime in with your own thoughts about the latest episode, hit up the Discord at discord.gg slash hdtgm or calls at 619-PAUL-ASK. Coming up, Jason and I are going to be joined by Moshe Kasher to talk about his new memoir, Subculture Vulture, plus a whole lot more. Plus, as always, I'm going to reveal next week's movie and play an exclusive bonus scene from our rollerball show. I'll be right back. Today's podcast is brought to you by That's the best part. When you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. That's right. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who have never thought about it or didn't even realize that their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and you can make someone feel great And make a little bit of money, too, because we all need a little bit of money. And maybe your talent or your gift to the world is having a killer place. So if you have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. my family is all in on the cinnamon Captain Crunch. I didn't think you could make it better, but they did. I love my Captain Crunch and now I'd love sharing it with my kids. Join the crew for your next breakfast time Crunch Venture. Get Captain Crunch's new Cinnamon Crunch now at a retailer near you and learn more at captaincrunch.com. People, I'm sure you noticed that every Monday we re-release old How Did This Get Made episodes back on our feed. This week's matinee Monday was Monkey Shines june wants those monkey shines to get paid remember that and next week's will be the boy next door with guests heather Ann campbell and ben simon uh so keep on checking out these replays of classic episodes every monday and now let's welcome jason to the show to have a little just chat rob from long island play us in Jason, we got a special guest on the show today. I'm very excited. I'm
3: thrilled. An all-star, a pal.
0: Yes. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, please welcome Moshe Casher. Moshe, how are you?
4: I'm great. Hi, boys. So good to see both of you actually. What a I hunk. Just, I, love I gotta your faces. say, I love your the wallpaper
0: behind you is Beautiful. You and your wife, Natasha, the way that you do your podcast, the way it looks like everyone's in these cramped recording studios and you guys look like you are broadcasting from the hippest Hollywood Hills kind of apartment. I don't smoke cigarettes, but it also feels like there could be a room, like a, a thing in that room where there's just like a ton of cigarettes in a special decanter, which I felt like was something that like my grandparents had. Like it was oh, just like a cigarette decanter.
4: Yeah. You pull up a little gold thing in the middle yes. and they all pop out. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Oh, but it's, you know what? Uh, We're trying to take care of our health. So it's just a hundred uh, jewels. <laughs> so smart. So good By for the, you. Yeah. Good for you.
0: Occasionally uh, June will smoke a cigarette. And I was very happy this year to, uh, we decorate our house very, uh, very, we go all out during Christmas. And, um, I got June this, um, it's a Santa Claus and he's in, uh, and he's in a little barrel and he's in, he's shirtless. And, um, when you pull on his legs, um, it looks like his dick is coming out, but it's a cigarette, and you just kind <laughs> of oh, yeah. take it out. Uh, you take it out <laughs> with your mouth, and it's a, it's a real it's fun for the whole family until my kids found it and then oh. insisted on showing it to all their friends. So not only oh. were they showing like a dick Santa, but then they were also showing <laughs> cigarettes. Like and they're like this oh, yeah.
3: proves like- that everybody. Santa has a dick. I'm sure
4: of it. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. This isn't sexual. Yeah. This is just to encourage smoking <laughs> in our family. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. We just, yeah. <laughs> we hit it. Wor- we really did it twice. Uh, really hit both things badly. Um, well, we have well, the you, same you have- thing
4: at our house, but it's much more modern. It's not an antique. It's Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. He's the Santa. So it's actually Tim <laughs> Allen. Oh, and oh, oh. then when you, yeah. Oh, and, oh, and he said,
0: <laughs> 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 Now, that's the best best of the three. We are trying to compete with Bitch Sesh. So do you want to throw any shade at Tim Allen, uh, you know, here on the podcast? Oh, right. (laughs) What did he do? Did he
4: do something recently?
0: (laughs) No, uh, Casey. uh, Actually, it's it's not Bitch Sesh anymore. They changed the name to uh, called Garbage World. They're on their own Patreon. They're doing their own thing. But Casey, uh, in the privacy of the podcast, Patreon, uh, went off on Tim Allen and her experience uh, working one day on the Santa Claus, and it went viral. Like it, like she didn't expect it to go viral. It went, it, it, like she and and I think the reason why it went viral was because she called him a little bitch. Uh, she said he's a little bitch, oh, and man. um and yeah, it really like it it got out there. In Such a way uh, that was that made me laugh. I don't know. You know, look, uh, you know, Moshe, sometimes... is there
3: anybody that you'd like to call a little bitch or any other names right now? <laughs> yeah, is any any I'm... any any grudge list? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too controversial. Um, I also know... don't want to step on you. You're here to talk about your book. I don't want to step on your book. Is it one
4: chapter after another on grudges? Yeah, well, it's, well, it's mostly about t- uh, Tim Allen. I mean, to be honest with you, it's mostly about <laughs> Tim Allen. <laughs> And I know, I know why he acts that way. And I think Casey wasn't being very sensitive to that. Like the guy just wants more power. That's all. I mean, he's just trying to get a little more power. That no. Oh my.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, Moshe, you have you have a brand new book coming out. I do? Like Jason just said, "Subculture Vulture." It's a memoir and six scenes. It comes out January 30th, a day before my birthday. I got
4: the box of the real thing today. I just opened Ooh, up this box. Oh moly. And there it is. Ooh, that looks great. Yeah. I'm. I, oh, my gosh. I Moshe, got,
3: who did the art for that cover?
4: Oh, that's a great question. The man's name is Chris Allen and uh Greg great molika and they, i mean they just killed it so hard it looks like a little like a like a that scene looks great it's very this work, it looks yeah, yeah it looks like a
3: graphic it looks like a graphic novel or a cool book that i would pick up at a at yeah, a secret I, headquarters i
4: gotta say i got emotional opening up this box because like when i was a little kid i never had aspirations to be a comedian that was not part of what i thought was happening for me but i always said i wanted to be a writer i didn't even know what that meant and i opened that box i just got emotional like you write one book And you've written a book and I feel like you write too. like I've become the writer that the little boy thought that I would be. And I'm I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of this particular book.
0: I did want to talk about that. This is your second book. And, you know, I feel like you see a lot of uh, comedians uh, and uh, performers write a book. Right. And and it's very rare that you get. A second book, you know, and your first book I thought was so just beautiful, personal. And it was, you know, talk to me about the process of coming, like, how did you find your way into this one? Because they're both, they're both memoirs to a certain extent. You know, they're focusing
4: on different parts of your life. Yeah. Well, this one is, I wanted to do kind of, this one's more of a concept memoir, I guess. uh, it's like, it's one part history, one part, it's obviously a comedy, but it's one part history and one part memoir. And I like kind of go through each of these six worlds that have created the person that I am they, which are like AA and the 12 steps. I got out of rehab for the last time when I was 15 and got sober and was like by far the youngest person in any AA meeting I ever stepped into for 10 years. And raves. I started wow. going to raves in the early 90s. I started throwing raves and DJing and selling ecstasy as a sober person. Burning Man, I went for the first time <laughs> in 1996, because I heard there was a rave in the desert. And I just like jumped in a car. And I have been. last year was my 24th time at Burning Man. And I worked there for like 15 years. And sign language interpreting and deafness, my parents, my uncles, my cousins, my half brothers and sisters are all deaf. And I was a sign language interpreter for 15 years. And, um, and Hasidic Judaism, my father, when my mom left him became like a born again Hasidic Jew. And I was raised six weeks a year in the summer, basically cosplaying as an extra on filler on the roof, pretending to know what I was doing in a Hasidic world. And then stand up, which is like the reason that I'm able to write a book or two in the first place. Um, so anyway, the reason I wrote it like that, I wanted to do something different. I wanted something that was like kind of scary to me. And this was like, cause it is history and I do have to like answer that bell, but Mostly like my first book ends um, like the day that I walk away from my friends. You know, there's this image of me walking one way down the street and my friends all walking up the road to Barclays, this bar in Oakland that would serve us underage kids and me walking alone into my new life. And like over the years, I had a lot of people always asking me like, well, what happened next? What happened next? And so I decided to write this book about what happened next. And the answer was like everything like so much happened next. My my whole life happened next.
3: Yeah. What's amazing is all the stuff that you just mentioned that is part of that second book are, is enough f- itself for four books. Right. I mean, like everything you just talked about, the fact that it's not, that that's not even in the first book is wild, you yeah. know? And, and do you feel, I'm curious, do you feel like now as you are thinking about things and thinking about a way to talk about things or talk about stories or yourself or whatever, are you no longer thinking in terms of this will be worked out on stage in stand-up? This is, are you now thinking of things more as I will now sit and write this? Are these chapters rather than, you know, chunks,
4: you know? You, you know, yeah. I, I I have reverse engineered a lot of the first book onto, into stand-up, but there's something about... Writing books for me that like feels like I can tap into this. I think part of it is because of the age of stand up that I started in. Like, I didn't start in this hyper sincere age of stand up that a lot of younger comics are in now, you know, with like Rothaniel and and Nanette and these like hyper confessional, super personal. My thing, I was raised in, you know, I started in 2001. It was like funny over everything. All that matters is comedy. Kill, 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 kill. And so, for me, the books were always uh, this portal into the more sincere me, the more kind of thoughtful and 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 slow version of me, and um, and so I can go in places, emotional places, in, in this in that I never really go on stage. I'm not a particularly emotional stand up. Um, I'd love to find a way to get some more of that going on on stage but i i kind of also like Yeah. Having, do you
3: feel like while you know like as you are excavating the more revelatory or emotionally revelatory th- elements of your life do you find that seeping into your stand-up or is it kind of church and state these are separate things purposefully I, you know like you get to do you know I,
4: just out of curiosity yeah no i think I, I started like i thinking much more like what you're saying jason like that what this exists over here i want to be thought of as serious yeah. over here and silly over here i never but cared i like being ridiculous on stage I, don't, I never thought comedy needs to have this emotional element but like as you get older i guess like the idea of something being corny or cheesy on stage like starts to matter a lot less and and i like i do think that as i'm getting older things are starting to seep a little bit more
3: yeah yeah that's great that's really I just, interesting.
0: I don't know. You're you're interesting to me because I think that you are somebody who is incredibly funny. So I don't think it's gonna be like, oh my gosh, I'm shocked that he went there. But it's fun that your audience and that people are willing to go in these places with you. Because like, as you are talking about like, you know, like the Talmud or something like that, you're going, you're going into this thing where it's like, oh, it's not just here's a funny story about a time I picked up a hitchhiker. You know, it's like, and I and I love that you are able to. To explore all those things that I like about you as a human being in something that is like well, a mass market. I, I think book.
3: I'll I'll jump on that too because I feel like what is evident in your stand-up or your writing or especially the stuff you do on stage that isn't necessarily stand-up, your other shows is I feel like Moshe, you are primarily a curious person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and your curiosity, I, I feel like as we get older, people get less and less curious. They get more and more calcified in the discoveries they've already made. They like these things. They're, they're creatures of habit. They settle, we settle into and calcify in our personhood. And you are somebody that to me, over the period of time I've known you are always curious, are always asking and questioning and are like, you're a curious mind. And I feel like that is evident in everything you do for work. I, I,
4: I, I'm, I feel really grateful that you, I feel like um, I'm, we're in a scene in Avatar, that you see me. Uh, but I, I really I, <laughs> I really do feel that way. Like, I love people. And I think that's why, like, on stage, what I love to do is crowd work the most because I really genuinely love the, like, discovery of who's sitting in an audience, you know? Uh, I love, yeah. and, and I think that that's because of the way that I was raised. Like, I was raised in a world where I was an outsider in kind of every every universe. I felt like, Painfully outside. Like, I was not deaf, but I was raised in a deaf world. I was, uh, you know, a white kid raised in Oakland public schools. I was l- a kid that didn't know how to read Hebrew, but I was going to literally the most n- religious Jewish neighborhoods in the world. I mean, people in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, the kids spoke Yiddish as a first language. They had Eastern European accents and they were third generation American. Like, it, that, I just felt wow. this like a cute. Oh, there's a good story from the book, I'll tell you. Um, but I'll get back to my curiosity. This is true. When I, I, I would go to Seagate, this was the neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, I say, if you don't know how to get to Seagate, you, you basically take the F train to the last possible stop. You get off, walk past Coney Island, past the projects, past the people of color, through a gate, through a time portal to pre-Nazi Europe, and then you will arrive in Seagate. <laughs> and I didn't know Hebrew. <laughs> wow. I don't know the Hebrew alphabet. And they're speaking Yiddish. And I just like... I could The dodgeball games in that neighborhood used to be the uh, ultra-Orthodox kids versus the actually really religious kids. Like the ultra-Orthodox kids were like <laughs> the, the, the secular, like weird, edgy kids. And then we would play against the like long, side-locked, like Yiddish speakers. <laughs> so it's getting towards um, my bar mitzvah. And I'm... drowning. I mean, I'm drowning in this world. I'm only a Jew six weeks a year. The rest of the year, I'm literally a secular public school kid listening to gangster rap in Oakland. And then I fly to the old country and go like just pretend that I know what I'm doing. And a local rabbi saw that I was struggling. And he um, he he said to my dad, he's like, give him to me. Uh, on wednesdays or thursday whatever day it was and i'll take him and i'll teach him how to read hebrew in preparation for his bar mitzvah and this was like early uh 90s late 80s so you could ask for some alone time with a child and they'd be handed over no questions asked right so, so i start going to his house wednesday afternoons and i'm str- uh, struggling like i can't get it i just can't get it and he goes don't worry man he pull he goes uh, he goes schmooly schmooly and he pulls his oldest son in and he's like "Shmuli, say the english alphabet and Shmuley's like uh, probably 14 years old. and He goes, oh, no. He goes, uh, A, B, <laughs> C, G. And then the rabbi like slaps me on the back. And he's like, see, he is stupid in English. You are stupid in Hebrew. Everybody's stupid. <laughs> so this Oh, is, wow. Anyway, this is the universe I was raised in. And I think that like that's why that kind of painful aloneness is why when a kid at my school said, Hey, what are you doing, man? He saw me uh, shoplift a pack of cigarettes and he goes, Hey, speaking of cigarettes coming out of Santa's cock, he goes, come to the back of the school
0: (laughs) and smoke cigarettes (laughs) with us
4: back there. And when I found those kids at the back of the school behind the portable, I was just like secret power unlocked, right? Like people uh, have, have secrets for me that can give me my superpower. And then that very quickly fell apart into like full chaos and my journey at that point became like, "Well, how do I go sort of stomp through the world and find out what secrets there are out there that will make me feel that kind of feeling again uh, so that curiosity like started when I was super young. like I went to a rave by myself I never even heard, i didn't know anything about Raves, but I thought maybe there was some secret in there for me. I went to Burning Man, just having heard a rumor of something crazy, and I decided to go i I went got on stage, you know, never having thought I would be a stand up it 's like all of these things. Dragged me from world to world. And, and once in a while, I would see a world where I felt like, you know, when you walk in, you have an experience where you turn around, you go, Oh my God, the whole world has changed in, in an instant. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in a different universe. Uh, and that's what I found, uh, through being curious. So yeah, it's all about people.
3: Yeah. I love this. All all about experiential learning. Yeah. You know, what you're talking about is exposure and experience as a way to grow, learn, discover. Uh, That's incredible.
1: You can live out your master chef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel, connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can
2: do this when you Angie that.
0: Now, there's also an audiobook in this. So you can get it any which way you want, this book. You can get a hardcover, you can get an ebook, you can get an audiobook. Now, I have been trudging through. Uh, not trudging, I'm happily enjoying the 48 hour audio <laughs> version of Barbara Streisand's book. 48 hours is a long, it's, it's a long, long time to get through, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. But I take breaks, I do t- sometimes a week or two break and I come back to Barbara. Um, now, she clearly is improvising, and I typed it in on my, uh, my engine and uh, search engine. <laughs> And it came back that yeah, like it's a totally her audiobook is totally different because she just kind of starts like meandering, and you could tell because she'll be like, "Yeah, my dentist, huh? Then where did he? I believe it was on uh Bar- Street." Like, so like she really like wow. She goes in, you know, and and uh, here's yeah, the thing about I did. Well, my teeth are pretty
4: good. <laughs> here's the thing about um about her um is that she's disrespectful to the form. And if I had to say it in more more crystal clear terms, she's a little bitch. Like I just want, I would say that there it is. That's what we needed.
0: There we go. Garbage time. We are competing with, uh, but (laughs) when you did your (laughs) audio book, is there anything uh, special in it? Anything, uh, anything that we can be on the lookout for? Is it just, yeah. We were
4: talking about this off mic, the burning man chapter. You know, I was, I was writing um, this, this sort of, Love letter to 25 years spent at Burning Man and having watched it go in 1996, when I went for the first time, it was fucking wild. I mean, it was insane and it was dangerous. It was literally very dangerous. uh, Before the gates opened in 96, someone had died. He got his head cut. Wow! Basically, off playing a game of chicken on a motorcycle, and um, oh my god! And there were drive-by shooting ranges, and they were setting buildings on fire right on the raw playa. Jesus! Fucking in the dirt, and it was like it was scary and dangerous. And I went there thinking, "Oh, there's a rave in the desert," and got there and go, "I don't know what this is, but this is not a rave. This is something something different, subversive, meaningful, but terrifying." And um. And a big part of the, my history of Burning Man is, is, you know, the big story that people say about Burning Man, which is that it's like in this slow creep towards irrelevance and jumping the shark. And in some ways, I think that's true. And in some ways, I think that's really overstated. But um, but then, I, you know, this year, uh, I we had the big, crazy mud... M- like apocalypse, you know, like, and it was, it was so crazy. I had everybody
3: suddenly there was all these stories about everybody getting stuck at burning man. Yeah. Chris rock had to walk miles in the mud. Yeah. He like a hot, like got in a van or apocalyptic reporting,
4: but right. It's Chris rock and like the real apocalypse that we've always envisioned is Chris rock and Diplo trudging through the desert to get to a private (laughs) plane to a DJ gig (laughs) in DC. But, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, and when we were when we were in that, I was getting texts and tweets. And then I, I remember reading the headline on CNN. But Joe Biden has been briefed on the situation at Burning Man. I go, OK, I'm in a fake news story. I'm inside of a fake news story <laughs> because inside the event, people were having the fucking time of their lives. And because oh, like, cool. I can say it like this. A comment, I know that people think Burning Man's lame and people love to hate it. I get that. And I get why, actually. But, uh, you know, there was this, like, I would say, like, God level of schadenfreude happening when when the mud came. Everybody's just like, oh, finally, they're suffering. And this, <laughs> this woman in my comments said, um, uh, I-, I love to see the suffering of rich people cosplaying as poor people, which I thought was a funny slam, a good roast, but but wrong, because... Burning Man people are not rich people cosplaying as poor people. They are weak people cosplaying as survivalists, and so there, there was nothing mo- that was more uh, justifying and, and 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 just like bringing them happiness than a minor weather event where they could put to the task. All of these things they thought they'd learned over the the, the the years at Burning Man, people were in revelry, like they were celebrating on a level that was uh, wow. ex- it was orgasmic and ecstatic. Because the what was cool about it was that Burning Man, a lot like all of these things, because each one of these worlds is like you know it start uh, it's a history too. I, I literally started at the beginning. And each one of these worlds, like started one place, and then like everything kind of became this other thing. Comedy too, you know. Now it's yeah. like TikTok and crowd work clips, and it used to be like you're, you're uh, in between acts on vaudeville, a, a, a talking horse would come out. You would just tell jokes while they clean the horse <laughs> shit, right? Like, so Burning Man has changed in this way that is for the for the worse a lot. But all of a sudden, you know, there was a there was a, a, a an act of God that came in and turned Burning Man from this like digital thing to an analog thing all of a sudden uh, it, out of the heavens. And all of a sudden I felt like I was in 1996 again. All of a sudden there, was, there were no cars and there were no lasers and it was just whatever kind of like thing you could experience in the mud. So I wrote about that. I thought, oh, this really like, this finishes the, the thought experiment that I've been having about Burning Man and about myself aging there and what it means to me. And I went to my editor and I said, I, "I, you know, I think people want to know this. And it was too late to put it in the in the written book. But we recorded it for the audiobook. So that segment is in the audiobook. Oh, that's so amazing. Superior.
3: That's so interesting to me. The idea of both like the I don't know if this is the right word, but like the gentrification of Burning Man over the it is a know,
4: gentrification. I,
3: yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's gone from like what you're describing, like you know kind of grungy in the desert you well, know all rave cool adjacent things
0: become yeah. corporatized even that thing which is the most uncorporatized right i mean i remember even going to bumbershoot and bumbershoot the first couple times i went which had been going on for a long time it was so much different than the last time i went you know it's like once all of a sudden you have a tent paid for by pepsi or comedy central yeah. uh, you know you're like oh it's shit's changing like money's coming in in yeah. a different
4: way The quote I heard about Burning Man specifically, which sums it up, is uh, Burning Man went from a place where weird people came to feel normal to a place where normal people go to feel weird. So that's great. Uh, That's That's great. And I wonder if
3: part of that is sped up by its adjacency to Silicon Valley and everything that's happening in Northern California. Is it just like if Burning Man had been located in Vermont all this time, would this be happening?
4: You know what I mean? Well, it. Yeah, well, that, I actually talk about that specific shift because a lot of times what people think happened to Burning Man is that Silicon Valley invaded it, turned it into a place for a corporate retreat center where, you know, Trust Falls at Tony Robbins Center turned into, like, uh, threesomes with Russian sex workers on Coke on an art car uh, as your corporate <laughs> retreat. Like, that's what happened, right? They infiltrated and ruined Burning Man. But the, the, the real story is more complicated than that, which is that Burning Man... It's not that tech ruined Burning Man. It's that tech ruined itself. Right. I tech see. was always a yeah, yeah. burning oh, man okay. from the oh, very that's beginning in te- and and always and and it used to be, I'm sure you guys remember like being an internet person in the 90s, you were a member of a subculture. It was a the counterculture. It, yes, was you're it was weird. It right. was yes. You were like a freak. You had a you know shaved head and you were like you looked like Angelina Jolie and hackers like that's who you were. You were and then what happened was they took over the world and they, they became the most powerful entity in the world, more powerful than governments. They turned into billionaires and trillionaires and they were still there. So it's I not mean, I that hope Bernie got deal. lamer because of tech.
0: they do take over entertainment. <laughs>
4: No, they would never. That's, that's not something they're even interested in doing. Yeah, but like, yeah, no, but I think that's a good analogy. Like, you see, like the techification of the entertainment industry. It's not uh, that they've that they've uh, arrived. Yes. It's that they've swallowed the culture whole. And so, Burning Man uh, always had tech people. It's that tech people themselves became lamer, and as a result, it turned into yeah. this kind no, that of makes m- sense. more sense. Okay, yeah, I'm
3: I'm
0: I'm, we're, I'm learning a lot. All right. So the book Subculture Vulture is out right now. You can buy it right now. You can go to a bookstore. You can get it on an ebook, You can get the audio book, whatever you want to do. You can get it as a CD. It's expensive to get it as a CD, but you can get it.
4: You know, you know, I have a, a really crazy idea because um, I my thing is like that. I'm so into like, you know, yeah. Like, Burning Man was such a, like, counterculture, yeah. like, like they call it culture jamming, and they used to do these wild street pranks and stuff, and, like, I'm really a student of that school, and yeah. I know that the internet d- has, like, taken some of that on, like, doing these, like, like, yeah. pranks, and okay. I know you guys have, like, really rabid fans, here's a crazy idea of, like, a prank that your people could do, I just think this could be so weird, um, what if everybody, just, like, as a prank, like, as a weird prank, um, f- who's, who's listening, were to were to go buy the book on Amazon? Ooh, I like it or, this. or so anywhere like anywhere not Amazon. Anywhere local anywhere I, I would wherever like it, it to be Amazon. Yeah. I love Amazon. <laughs> hey hey I'm hey, Amazon guy. But like yeah, <laughs> YouTube. If, if you, you want to do joke, book soup or whatever, independent bookseller.
0: And that's and that's kind of the prank is that you're going to Amazon and you're getting
4: it right. It's it's kind of like a gotcha to big tech. You know, we could kind of do that as a community. Like it's not about my book. I don't care about book sales. Obviously, I'm not here to like shill books. I just think like. As a prank, as a as a subversive prank, Every, yeah. and you know what, Paul? It could be kind of cool if they didn't just buy my book. Oh, wait a second! But while yeah, they were wow. there, yeah, this is right, a crazy. Yeah, I, mean, I'm, I'm, this is, I don't know. This might be too right, yeah. too much. This might be too much of a uh, prank. I don't know if you're. But what if they were to pre-order your oh, book in the same shit. transaction? Now wow. that's a
0: prank, all right? That's impractical practical prank jokers. Prank. Now we're doing it. Now we've pranked. <laughs> we're we're walking the prank. We're doing it. <laughs>
4: Oh god. Oh yeah, god. Yeah, a vast you scurvy you scurvy dog, you know, like go get that book as a weird prank as an I love it. I love like, it. Like, buy it's books. Like a flash mob. See,
0: buy some books. I I'll, I'll tell you this much uh the other you know y- you know we both have books coming out. Um there is something that was really disheartening during this um award season or, you know, all these movies are coming out. I watched uh, You Hurt My Feelings. I watched American Fiction and uh, and I watched, oh, my gosh, what's the third one? Um, uh, the Holdovers. And all of them are about, like, miserable people trying to get their books out. We're not miserable people. It's just like <laughs> it, it really does paint a sad picture. I'll say of the- Anatomy
4: of a Fall. <laughs> oh.
3: Anatomy of a Fall is the other one about struggling writers. Yes,
4: that's the other yeah. one. Yes, you're that's right. My, so it was book, like- my movie of the year. My movie, of oh, the loved, I loved it. Incredible
0: movie. I apparently she made another film, the director, uh, that's even better, and I have to find it. Um, oh, wow. It's one of her first movies, and it's um, about a, a journalist following a, a politician on a campaign trail. And It's done that same kind of doc uh, style, which is supposed to be very yeah. good. Incredible.
3: Anyway, uh, uh, well, here's what I'll I say as a so good much. prank. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, a, I'm gonna participate in the prank, even though I don't have a, a book coming out. Just for people who are currently listening at home on a speaker, I'm going to say, Alexa, buy culture. V- Wait, no, it's, what is it? Is it culture sub- vulture? Uh, <laughs> All, sub- this All this works. Subculture. Subculture. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, buy subculture vulture. Hardcover. Oh, Alexa, <laughs> buy subculture vulture hardcover.
4: Oh, oh my yeah. gosh.
3: Uh, we, got a, a we really
4: we nailed <laughs> we these guys, em. man. We pranked them hard.
0: <sighs> oh, classic prank. Um, and, and you know, and when you're done buying the hardcover, go get that audiobook because it's gonna have that extra chapter in it. Um it's a pleasure. I'm so excited that you're here. We gotta get you back on the show show, but we need to get you on here to make sure we talked about your book, Subculture Vulture, a memoir and six scenes out right now. Buy it and be part of the world's best prank. Moshe, it's been a pleasure to have you. We will talk to you soon.
4: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys.
0: Thank you, Moshe. His book is Subculture Vulture. We're going to have a deleted scene uh, in just a second uh, from a rollerball episode. But uh, I want to make sure that you pre-order or get Subculture Vulture wherever books are sold. And you can pre-order mine at the same time. I know. I'm sneaking in a plug for myself. I'm terrible. Anyway, now is finally time to announce our next movie next week we are going to go from roller balls to jamie dornan's balls that's right next week we'll be watching how did this get made's first entry into the 50 shades trilogy that's right back in 2015 there's a little film called 50 shades of gray starring dakota johnson and jamie dornan and we are going to break it down next week uh do we even need to know what the plot is yeah you you may want to right Literature student Anastasia Steele's life changes forever when she meets a handsome yet tormented billionaire, Christian Grey. And the rest is movie history. Rotten Tomatoes gives this film a 25% score on the meter. Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times writes, Basically, they made a lousy mid-2000s era Catherine Heigl romance with a handful of explicit scenes spliced throughout the familiar cliches. I love Richard Roper, but I think He's overthinking it in this review. I don't see Catherine Heigl romance in here at all. Uh, <laughs> but the rest works. Listen to the trailer for Fifty Shades of Grey. Come. It's just me on the store. What is? My Playroom.
2: Like your Xbox and stuff? I don't do romance. <laughs> You turning it up a notch You could say that. You said you didn't do romance. That's what you do to me.
1: Uh, uh, oh no no!
0: You can currently stream Fifty Shades of Grey for free on Max. You can rent it on Apple. Amazon, YouTube, or Google Play. But remember, go to your local public library because you can also get it from there. Now, we are almost at the end of this episode. But before we go, check out this bonus scene from our rollerball show where we talk about the cast of the movie doing a promotional tie-in with some WWF pro wrestlers. So before we get to our final moments, I wanted to show you something because this movie was heavily publicized. Um, I don't have any clips from it, but it was a part of a Road Rules Challenge where actually one of the road rules people got in the movie Rollerball. Was it CT? Um, I, I do actually it's have okay. who it was. It's okay. Right. Right. I'm just kidding. But, it's the only name I know
3: because he was in a Kroll show sketch. I, was I remember here. that guy.
0: But I wanted to show you this. Beth, can you show the, the lunchroom scene? Okay, because one of the things, this is a WWF. One of the things this movie had was a tie-in to the WWF. And I want to show you. Oh, that's awesome. This scene with the cast and professional wrestlers—it's amazing. Hey man,
1: February eighth, you guys gonna have a hell of an opening to Hey, I tell you what, Mr. Barry, you have all the beer you want. You ain't gotta worry about us taking advantage of you or anything like that. I'm not worried about that. got Yo, hey, hey man, I recall your ass being invited. You got the, the hell off me, man. Don't you ever touch me, sucker. <laughs> ever touch me? I came here to talk to somebody. I came to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. I want to know why I wasn't invited to the premiere rollerball and these two <laughs> suckers were. Don't you know who I am? I'm Booker T. Five time. Five times. WCW champion. The same man who kicked Triple H's ass on Raw single handedly. You know what? I want to know why I didn't get a point this week. I want to know why I. I'm not the lead man in this damn movie. Lead man? Yeah, that's right. You're not the lead man in the movie because there was no scene in the movie where somebody gets their ass kicked in a grocery store. Yeah. You did get your ass <laughs> You did get your ass <laughs> in a grocery store. Lettuce. You Apples <laughs> flying all in your head. You get me? Just say that. I tell you what. What? I want you. And I want you to lace them up. I'm gonna find their partner. Why put that lamp? Suck. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's on. <laughs>
0: I love that he's mad that he was not invited to the premiere of Rollerball. And then also mad that he wasn't in the movie. He has double complaints.
3: And then but then after the movie came out, there was another thing where he came in and was like. Thank you for not putting me in the movie. role. Well,
0: and the other that clip was that, my
3: bad. I did not enjoy it. And the and other I'm not clip,
0: fooling. the clip that we could not find is LL Cool J on Conan O'Brien, where he goes, "Yeah, that movie sucked, but I got to promote it. That's why I was on your show."
3: Amazing. I did love that they're all smoking cigars, but just like sitting around, like like pantomiming smoke. They have big cigars, like they're on the Joe Rogan podcast.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I love pro wrestling tie-ins. And you know what? I also love coming to an end. And that's what's happening right now. Please rate and review the show. It helps. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, make sure you're following us everywhere on social media uh, at HDTGM. Thank you to our producers, Scott Sonny and Molly Reynolds, our movie picking producer, Avril Halley, our associate producer, Jess Cisneros, and our engineers, Casey Holford and Rich Garcia. We will see you next week for Fifty Shades of Grey.